0: Okay, well today is August 14th, 2022. I think this is being recorded. So uh, the next two weeks we're gonna have our time called Ask the Pastors, where the class has submitted uh, questions to Paul and me that they've always wanted to ask a pastor. And we will try to openly and honestly, transparently answer your questions as best we can. Nothing's off the table. They can be questions personally about us, uh, about our wives. Uh, well, the, I saw the first one. I said, "Ron, what is your wife's most grievous besetting sin?" And I, I'm going to let Paul ask that, answer that. One. But, uh, so I'm just going to—we haven't looked at these. I have no idea what's in here. I'm just going to divide them up. Paul, there's one for you. One for me, one for you. One for me, one for you. One for me, one for you. you. Me, one for you. Let's pray, and and I'm, I'm really being serious now. We don't want to say anything up here that would be confusing or. Uh, shake your faith or we're, we're here to build you up in Christ I think Satan would love to have us say something that maybe we'd be sorry about afterwards so I'm going to pray for the Lord's protection that this would be just a great time of building up the body of Christ let's pray Lord God that's what we want to do um, we're here only at your bidding and we thank you for the privilege of being a part of this great congregation first prayers and a part of this great class the Bridges class Paul and I We've had such a great time, uh, really for almost a year now, uh, filling in here, and we pray that these next two weeks would uh, honor and glorify you, would encourage us all in Christ, it would actually be a time of discipling, that we all would grow deeper and stronger in our faith as we wrestle with what I'm anticipating to be some difficult questions about the Christian faith, the Christian life, or whatever. Put your hedge of protection around Paul and me, Um, guard our tongues and our hearts that we might, uh, uh, in a positive way, um, answer these questions uh, in ways that honor and glorify you and uh, just just bar any power of Satan to have any influence over this class. And we ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Okay, Paul, I'm going to ask you the first question, then you can ask me one, okay? Put you on the hot seat first. (coughs) Okay. Um, What is Sheol, and is it a part of First Pres Doctrine? Sheol. Capital S H E O L. We see it a lot in the Old Testament. Um, We talked about this in our Thursday Bible study this past Thursday. Well, you weren't there, so you didn't. Bob gave us an in-depth uh, analysis of that. So,
1: I would like to hear that in-depth analysis that that Bob gave because uh, I need to know that the answer to that question. So, okay. I like everyone else; I have questions.
0: You want me to take them? I sure do. Okay, um, you know the, the Old Testament did not have a completely developed idea of life after death. Some people say the Old Testament has no concept of life, yeah, that's wrong. Uh, you, you get the oldest book in the Bible is Job. We get a clear, uh, uh, Job is clear, there's a, something on the other side. And, um, but the Old Testament oftentimes, use the word sheol. Some people think that equivalent to hell, it's not, sheol is not a place of punishment um, some people see it as a synonym for uh, the world of the dead, where everybody goes uh, in this kind of amorphous, dark place. Uh, they didn't have a fully developed sense of resurrection yet. Um, so that, that's really all we know about Sheol, um, the land of the dead. Um, as Christians we know now uh, there's a fully developed sense of what's on the other side after Jesus resurrection from the dead uh, when a believer dies we don't go to shale we go into the unveiled glorious presence of Christ our spirits do our bodies remain here but that's not the end of the story we're not meant to be disembodied spirits that one day when Christ returns, we will have resurrection bodies like His. And it won't be a spiritual existence in eternal life. It'll be a recreation of the goodness of the original creation. I think we'll we'll live on this planet. Um, Trees, animals, everything like it is now, minus everything that's bad. Sin, disease, death, pain suffering. Um, It's it's interesting, the Bible's really kind of reticent in talking too much about heaven or hell. Uh, My theory is that there's not human language to express either. And if there was, we'd probably make an idol out of it. I just like to say that if there's a suggestion box in eternity, it will be eternally empty. Uh, you, you won't... Uh, are they going to have shrimp in heaven? Well, if there's no more death, I guess maybe God can make shrimp that are already dead. I don't know. But you won't have any complaints. Don't worry. But Sheol's really a concept, Old Testament concept that is enlightened into what we know as resurrection faith. No. um, I mean, there seems to be some similarities in that, except Sheol is not a place of punishment. Purgatory is this place where you work off everything Christ didn't cover for you on the cross. I mean, that's that's why there was a reformation.
1: She was asking if it was Abraham's bosom.
0: Oh, oh, I guess you could say that. You know when Jesus said his final words on the cross were "It is finished," and medieval theologians basically said, "No, it's not." Purgatory is a sad thing. I grew up in a half Roman Catholic family. I learned all about purgatory. I was like, "Then why the heck did Jesus go to the cross?" Okay, Paul, you want to? I'm going to ask you another one since you (laughs) didn't answer that. Was that? (laughs) <laughs> oh, this is a simple one. What does it mean to blaspheme the Holy Spirit? And everyone who, uh, oh, and that quotes Luke 12.10, and everyone who s- speaks a word against the Son of Man, it will be forgiven him. Uh, but he who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit, it will not be forgiven him. So what does it mean to blaspheme the Holy
1: Spirit? You don't want to do this. You want to avoid this with all your might. And the way I understand it, I've been taught to understand it, and you can add to this. You know, all of these questions are going to have a ripple effect where the answer of one, he can add to it. And we could spend the whole time just on Sheol or Abraham's bosom. So to, to try and service as many questions as we can. In short, we come to know the Lord through the influence of the Holy Spirit. And if we dis that, to use a modern phrase, if we disregard it, if we say, here's a guy preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ, I feel something moving on me, drawing me to this Messiah, this Savior, and I reject that leading and that drawing of the Holy Spirit, you've blasphemed the the only possible way that you can be saved. Because no man comes to know Jesus except through the uh, enlightenment of the Holy Spirit. So if you diss that and you blast, you you disregard that leading of the Holy Spirit, you're in trouble, you're in big trouble. Don't do that. If you know of anybody else who's doing that and they're having questions and they're using, they're throwing up the smoke screen of these lame philosophical arguments, well, what about this, what about that? Uh, it would be a, 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 a and then again, Jesus said, no man can come to me except the Father draw him. Uh, the Lord's will is going to be done. I, a- w- I would agree. Amen. Yes. Can I just follow up yes. Ananias and Sapphira. Yeah. How,
0: can you explain why that was sin against the Holy Spirit? Well, Ananias and Sapphira, yeah. everybody remember that story in, in Acts where... Yeah. They sold land and then went to the apostles and said, they really sold it for $100 and said, we sold it for 50 bucks. Here's 50 bucks for the church. And then, well, first first the husband, and he he drops dead. Um, Does it say that the Holy Spirit drops him dead, or is he just dropped dead? I'm trying to remember if it's...
1: Peter was the one who said, why hast thou lied to the Holy Spirit? Yeah. So... uh, yeah, that's, a, that's another serious charge and uh, something else you don't want to do. And then like
0: three hours later, his wife shows up and says, did you sell that land for X? Yes, we did. And that was a lie. Right. And boom, they carry her out. Yeah. So, um, this would be a good time to talk about tithing. <laughs>
1: and, uh, yes. That is, I, I see, God bless you, sister. I see that hand. Uh, go ahead. Right. I want to repeat her question just so it, it's going to tape. She was saying it wouldn't have been such a big deal if they just would have said, hey, we sold it for this much. We're going to keep some of it and we're going to give half. But because they said they sold it for the whole amount and apparently the, the root sin of this is pride, they wanted people to admire them, you know, uh, and, and, and that was not the thing to do. And I, uh, you know, the, that narrative of the book of Acts is so uh, interesting, the way Peter... When he asked Sapphira, when she came in, did you sell the land for so much? And she said, yes. And Peter said, behold the feet of them that has buried thy husband, and they will carry you out also. And then she fell out. And, and, you know, in the charismatic realm, not that we traffic much or at all in, that, in, in this church, but uh, they have a, a thing which happens routinely in a lot of their services, calling being slain in the spirit where you see people falling out and there's usually somebody there to catch them. and It's, it's, it's kind of a learned behavior thing, but uh, that, is, that is a, a, a misnomer. It, it should not be called that. Ananias and Sapphira, they were slain in the spirit, <laughs> and, and, and when people are slain in the spirit, they don't get up, and nobody catches them either. They just fall like a tree. That was it. You know, I
0: I think I I think I preached a sermon on that text in Dallas, and I think the title of my sermon was "You Don't Tug on Superman's Cape." Dot dot dot. Right. And and the point of my sermon was, you know, we get kind of complacent with God. Oh, God's this loving, forgiving God that we can kind of, you know, short sheet his bed, and he's not going to care. So I, I, I think we need to develop a healthy, reverent fear of the Lord, not a pathological horror at who got it. but we should, I think Ananias and Sapphira thought, well, we can do this and get away with it. It's no big deal. And how many of us, I do that. Every time I sin, I do that. No matter how minor the sin is, I, get, well, I presume upon God's grace. And uh, I think that story should be a, a healthy warning that we should No, when, when you accept Christ, then Christ's words on the cross, it is finished," is applied to you and me. And his righteousness, like a robe draped over us, and yeah, if we were to die today, we would go directly into the presence of Christ. things I want to do is always assure Christians of their salvation. You know, what we believe as Reformed Christians is that when you, when you accept Christ, you are sealed um, with the righteousness of Christ. You're still, as Luther says, simul justus et peccator. You're justified and a sinner at the same time. But let me put it this way. If, if I have genuinely re- received Christ, but then I go out and rob a 711 cuz for some reason and get hit by a truck on the way out and I'm killed before I'm able to confess that sin that's not going to undo my salvation
1: I um, wouldn't try that by the way <laughs> <laughs> That's right Don't try well, these anything days, like that
0: you know police are not going to do anything so yeah. I,
1: I w- w- Related to that, I think of David's prayer in the 19th Psalm when he said, Lord, let the meditations of my heart, the words of my mouth be acceptable in thy sight, and and keep me back from presumptuous sin. That's uh, uh, something that might... uh, and, And then after that, the next verse says, and keep me from the great transgression. It seems that our taking God's grace for granted after what he's done for us shows ignorance of just how great his salvation is and how horrendous our sin is and to, uh, and I understand what, what he's saying here, but uh, still, don't go uh, knock off a bank or a uh, 7-Eleven or, you know, decide to go into a meth lab business and say, well, you know, I'm, I'm always gonna be okay. If you're one of God's children, remember, God chastises his children and he, he has a woodshed that he takes us to and uh, because He loves us. Just like we correct our children because we love them, the Lord corrects us because He loves us.
0: Well, let me, let me have a more white, white-collar white sin. You know, if, if I got in an argument with you and got mad, and I unjustly said some things about you and then dropped over from a heart attack, that's, and I don't get a chance to say, please forgive me and confess the sin, that does not affect my salvation. Right. I've been sealed in Christ yes. and His Death covers even my unconfessed sins. Think about over your life how many you don't know how many sins you've committed. Some you don't remember. Some you're ignorant that you even did sin. And so we're all going to die one day with a lot of unconfessed sin in our account. So it's not like uh, you can be sure that you're you've confessed all your sin. That does not affect your salvation. When you accept Christ, His blood covers confessed sin, unconfessed, due to ignorance, indifference, or forgetfulness, that does not undo your salvation. Don't push it. Yeah, you know, um, my first funeral in Dallas was my, of my predecessor.
1: Could you Cl- repeat her question? Because e- people can't hear what she just asked.
0: Okay. Um, could, could you say it again? I said that I Okay, okay. Oh, now I remember. Okay. If, when you die, are we going to face judgment? Well, Here's what I believe the Bible teaches. When I, when I did my predecessor's funeral, Clayton Bell, I preached from John 14, 1 through 6. And um, I said that, uh, you know, a lot of people believe there are many roads to God. But Jesus clearly teaches here that I am the way, and it is the definite article, not a way. Um, and so I said, you know, Jesus is the only way to God. And Clayton's sister came up, Virginia Somerville, came up to me after the service. And I'm brand new at Highland Park Press. And she said, I thought, I was hoping the next pastor would be
1: biblical. I'm like,
0: what? And well, I said Welcome
1: to the ministry. <laughs>
0: now, she's a very gracious woman. And she was, she actually taught me something that day that I've never forgotten. And, she, and I said, well, I am she said, Well, you said something totally non biblical in there. I said, What? That Jesus is the only way to God. And I thought, Dead gum. Clayton's sister's a Unitarian. Yeah. And she opened her Bible to 2 Corinthians. And there's a place in Romans, too, where it says, All will one day stand before the judgment seat of God. And she carefully showed me how all roads do lead to god next time one of your friends says that say yeah i believe that too but only one road leads past that judgment seat to eternal life and that's christ so let's use your courtroom analogy yeah one day i'm going to stand before the judgment seat of god satan's going to be the prosecuting attorney and he's going to have a whole laundry list on me and then my defense attorney will step forward. Guess who that is? Jesus. And he'll say, I have paid for every one of those sins. Romans 8.1 is a verse everyone should memorize. I memorize it and I say it to myself every day. Whenever I have any qualm that, am I sure I'm saved? There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So, as a Christian, you don't need to fear. Condom. You don't need to fear that judgment seat. Um, you, you, your case has already been dismissed, so to speak. You've already been declared not guilty, and you will go right on into Amen. eternal life. Verse two is a good clarification of that. Yes, because it says. That
1: Amen. And I just want to add to that, I, I uh, have talked about that also, and uh, I say, yes, we're, we're all going to be judge, and, and there will be a court session, and it's good to have the best Jewish lawyer that you could find. <laughs> and Jesus Christ is that. <laughs> <laughs> that
0: we don't, you know, do the that. But you know, we do want to affirm that the life we live matters to God now, not just, well, it's all behind the wood. It's all We're just going to get to heaven. You know, I heard a theologian one time say, <coughs> I'm not going to mention his name because he's gone off the rails now, but back when he was Orthodox, his take on this was, you know, you're saved by grace, not by my works. But if I, all of us are presumptuous upon God's grace to some extent, but if you're really presumptuous and you go, well, I know I'm saved, so you just kind of live a profligate life, but enough you think to not, and, and you are saved, but this theologian said, but you know, if you, the closer you walk with Christ in this life, the more at home you are going to feel in eternity immediately. Um, you know, if you're used to being around Christ. Uh, but if you're not, I guess it was his sort of take on a, a Protestant purgatory. You're going to be kind of uncomfortable around it. might take you 10,000 years to ease into where you're... Now, he even said, I don't know if that's true, but he says, that's what I... I wonder if the more we live for Christ, the more we're going to immediately feel at home when we're with Christ. I don't know. Just, it's not in the Bible, but it... Could be true.
1: I think Shishaw? that comes from the apocryphal book of to It's it's not in the Bible but it ought to be. And, no, it's uh, in Second Queens. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What's yeah. Yes, Shishaw? Mr. Ambassador.
0: it's five facets of the diamond that's the best way I think to look at it it's five truths those are the the five solas of the Reformation sola gratia sola fide sola Christus sola scriptura sola gloria Um, those are the battle five battle cries of the Reformation Christ alone through faith, salvation by grace alone, by faith alone, through Christ alone, according to Scripture alone, to the glory
1: of God alone. That was Amen. The- As you can tell, this question and answer session is is not working like we thought it was going to work. I… Uh,
0: no, this is why it's supposed to work. That's why we have two weeks. I
1: haven't got to my first card yet, and I've got… I, 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 and, and this is a good question that, that, that needs to be answered. Can I answer this now? Sure. The, the question is uh, what is. Well, I thought I can answer it if I could read it, but.
0: Uh, Need some glasses?
1: A good way. No, I've got my eyes. Uh, a good way to start to forgive those you perceive have hurt you. Personal insults and, and, and hurts uh, are very, very hard to get over because it happens to us. Uh, It's very easy to preach, for us to preach to you. Oh, you forgive, you forgive. But when it happens to us, it's much more difficult. And the best way to uh, handle those personal hurts is to think about how much the Lord has forgiven us of. I think of that uh, parable of, of, of the guy who was forgiven a great debt, he could never pay it back, and then he turns around and he goes and he grabs someone who owes him like 15 bucks and he grabs him by the throat and he says, pay me what, what you owe me. And the judge found out about it and he got in trouble. He said, how dare you go and not forgive this person who owed you so little after you've been forgiven so much. And that is a good way for us to always remember, uh, there's no way, you'll never get too carried away in trying to obey the Lord, even when it comes to forgiving someone. I said, well, you know, this isn't right. And I mean, I'm, I'm figuring this out. What he did is much more worse just let it slide. Let it go. And we say this reverently, you know, usually when you hear someone say, for the sake of Christ or for Christ's sake, it's vile and it's profane. But for the sake of what the Lord did for us, we can forgive anybody of anything.
0: I remember and, and when I was in high school, I grew up in the Virginia, Maryland, D.C. area. And I remember my parents went to National Press one night to hear Corey Ten Boom. And I remember my mom came home and I was on a prodigal journey away from Christ. I didn't really care. I remember coming home and saying, gosh, that was powerful. Corrie Ten Boom, you know, she was put in a concentration camp. Her family hid Jews there in uh, Holland. And she and her sister wound up in the same concentration camp. And she watched, she witnessed firsthand the guards beat her sister Betsy to death in front of her. And then Corey got out of the concentration camp through a clerical error that had her released. It wasn't supposed to happen somebody made a wrong check on a page and all of a sudden she was told she could go. So my mom said she told the story that night that she was speaking in a church in Germany um, probably in the late 1940's and she was speaking on forgiveness and She finished, and then people were lining up to come, you know, shake her hand at the end of the evening. And she said she was standing in line, and she looked, and to her horror, she saw the SS guard who beat her sister to death standing in line. Now, she recognized him. He did not recognize her. And maybe he thought he was a Christian. Maybe he became a Christian. But he was there that night, and she said suddenly, and she had been speaking on forgiveness that night, and suddenly she was faced with the fact that in five minutes, this guy's going to be here shaking my hand. Can I forgive him? And she said, I didn't have the power to do that. So while she's pleasantly shaking hands inside, there's this turmoil, and she said, I finally just surrendered and said, Holy Spirit, Everything I said tonight is a sham unless you can give me the power to forgive this man. And she said, suddenly everything changed. And suddenly there he was in front of her. And he said, I so enjoyed your talk. And she said, grabbed his hand and said, Thank you so much for coming. He never knew what was going on. And she said, I left there totally changed. So, that's what the grace of
1: God will do in a person's life. Yeah. Amazing grace. I guess the
0: moral of that is, if Corey Ten Boom can forgive an SS guard who killed her sister, we probably can have the strength of the Holy Spirit to forgive that person. You know who they are that we think we can't forgive, for Christ's sake. Amen. Okay, I'll take a question here. Is there any unforgivable sin? (laughs) What is it? God, you guys are really on to this. Does anybody want to confess? It seems like sin is... Um, well, we already kind of covered the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. I've always heard it put this way. The reason that's in the Holy Spirit is um, the Holy Spirit wants to forgive you, no matter what it is. But if you won't accept that forgiveness, that's blasphemy. For whatever reason, you don't think He really wants to do it or can do it, or you're just too prideful to accept, you know, if I'm going to be forgiven, I'm going to do it myself. Um, but that's your last lifeline, is the Holy Spirit saying, receive Christ's forgiveness. And if you reject that, that's the unforgivable sin. God finally just says, C.S. Lewis says, everybody in hell is basically, they're there because God's going to give them what they request. I don't want Christ in my life. Okay. <laughs> There's an eternity without Christ. That's hell. You know, we think of hell as Dante's Inferno. Um, I think the language of scripture doesn't even come close to, if God's a source of everything good, and God is not in hell, then imagine all of us put together with no good. We'd be ripping each other's eyes out of that, I guess. Mm -hmm. But you don't need to fear the unforgivable sin if you're a Christian. If you genuinely receive Christ, you are sealed, and God never loses one of his, the shepherd never loses one of his sheep. You may sin badly, but Christ's blood covers that. If you continually, you know, repentance should be a revolving door. You know, it means turn around. That's my life, I'm, just, I'm in a, like a revolving door. As long as you keep short accounts with God, and, rely solely on Christ's blood you don't have to worry about the unforgivable sin.
1: Luther was known to have spent hours confessing his sins every day and then after he would leave he would still feel bad that he forgot something and there's a balance we're not obsessed with our sin where that's all that we think about but we shouldn't take it lightly that ah well you know I'm doing this and everybody else does it uh, you know, where much is given, much is required. We remember Jesus said. And uh, we've been forgiven much. There's much that's required from us. And, and, you know, there's a balance. We confess our sins. You know, First John, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us. But for that one verse in First John, there's probably three or four others that admonishes us not to sin. Don't push it. Don't think you can get away with it just because you're uh, under the blood of Jesus. As if we can sin with immunity. Well, I'm covered now, and it's that's a, that's a presumptuous, uh, carnal, and I would say stupid way to live a life after God's been so good to forgive you of so much. I have a question here, can a Christian serve on a death penalty jury? That's a good question, and uh, I'm gonna tell you that you can. Uh, the reason why people usually don't wanna do something like this is because they don't, you know, they say, well, I don't want to judge someone else. Well, we're not eternally judging someone if we're participating in civil justice where criminals have to be held account. If you f- forget about how effective the death penalty was, just read the first five books of the Bible again. And there's a lot of people that were stoned to death and put to death for a whole lot of things. And... For those of us who say, well, was God different in the Old Testament than he was in the New Testament? No, the Lord is not schizophrenic. He wasn't one way in the Old Testament, and now he's under grace and everything is different. The Lord still feels the same about uh, egregious sins against him. And uh, for the sake of a civil society, we can't let people get away with murder. Uh, If we were serving on a death penalty jury and we believe a person is, is guilty, we're not condemning them to hell. We're just arranging the meeting. Is, is, is all we're doing, you know, with the eternal judge. And, and, and that meeting is going to happen. And, uh, you know, we're not saying, well, you're beyond redemption, you're beyond the grace of God. I hope that the chaplain in prison gets to them and and the Lord regenerates them by his grace and mercy. But by us uh, doing something that would be best for society, rather than, you know, right now what we're saying is the exact opposite. You know, we're seeing these liberal district attorneys that are... Uh, it's a turnaround, you know, they're just letting them right back out on the street. And we're living in this bizarre, ridiculous, uh, promiscuous society where people are just getting away with all kinds of stuff. And because they, they believe, well, nothing's going to happen to me. And there needs to be some kind of justice.
0: I think to be, to be fair, though, I think Bible-believing Christians are divided on whether the death penalty is right or not. Uh, some of you may remember, we had Chuck Colson come here to this church twice back in the 80s. He founded Prison Fellowship after he had spent time in prison and came to Christ. And and Prison Fellowship International is a fabulous ministry all around the world now. And I was I was surprised. I remember hearing Chuck say, I'm against the death penalty. And here's why. Because if we, sentence I got a death and, you know, it's, I want him alive so we can win him to Christ in the prison. Um, That was his uh, rationale, and he was as orthodox as you could be theologically, biblically. So I think Christians are divided, on. But I I think you're. I I I would not hesitate to serve on a death penalty jury. It's you're not sentencing the person. You're the state is. um, Any more than you know, if it's a robbery thing. You don't send a person to jail. Their crime. Send them to jail by the the laws of the state. You're just saying we think he broke the law and there's the law. So, I don't know. You want to read? I need my glasses for this one.
1: How do you feel like this is working? Are you? okay. We have one more week of this and then we're going to find out what the Apostle Freed means. Bones
0: from a 30-million-year-old creature were unearthed near Dallas recently. It was Jimmy Hoffa. Uh,
1: He's buried in the New Jersey uh, Meadowlands. We know that for a fact. How does this
0: balance with the Bible's story of creation? Well, that's a great question. And this is one of the things I love to talk about and I read about. Um, The Hubble Telescope, Uh, They can read background radiation, and the Hubble telescope revealed that there actually was a time when matter did not exist. Now, secular scientists thought St. Augustine was crazy. Augustine said, God uh, creatio ex nihilo, The God created the universe out of nothing. They said, that's impossible. You know, you can't get something from nothing. And uh, so they've always thought the universe was eternal. And the reason uh, Darwinists, evolutionists, could always get off the hook when you'd say, well, there's just not been enough time to evolve. Oh, when you have infinite amount of time, you can come up with infinite amount of species. Well, Hubble blew the whole Darwin thing out of the water by saying that the universe appears to be 134 Billion years old, and that means if you run the computer models, secular models, there's not enough time in 13.4 billion years for random particles of matter in, over to collide and create even one simple cell. That's you'd have a better chance of going to Las Vegas every day for a thousand years and hitting the jackpot every day. That's more likely than that. So, scientists are saying Augustine was right. Now, to get back to Genesis, um, when I was examined to be a pastor, we only had the Westminster Confession of Faith in the old Southern Church at that time, and I could take um, exceptions to parts of the creed, If I didn't believe them, it was the Presbytery's job to decide whether I was in bounds. And I said, well, Westminster clearly has the idea that it was six 24-hour days. And I said, I'm not opposed to that. It's just, if you look at Scripture, it says a day is a thousand years with God. And our concept of day is based on a 24-hour cycle of the Earth revolving around the sun. Well, the sun's not created to the fourth day. So, what's the timing on those first three days? So, I think the six days of creation could be I have no trouble talking with six 24 hour days, but it could be six eons, six milliseconds. Time is not God, lives outside of time. We live within time. Today, with God, it's as much. 1812, as it is 2022. And I guess he can enter on the timeline any place he wants, but we only think past, present, and future. God only thinks eternity. So, uh, if they dug up a 60 million-year-old creature outside of Dallas, doesn't bother me. God, I know who made it. God did. And uh, there have been Christians who've tried to <laughs> fudge on this and saying, you know, God planted fake fossils all around. I don't think we have to go there. Uh, see so sea was really faithful and stay with the word. Um, I have no trouble with God op- doing this creation in 13.4 billion years. I think life on this planet only goes back, you know, tens of millions of years. But, so, But the universe is way older than that no problem for God. God's outside of time, so we're trapped within time.
1: Outside of Genesis 1 and 1, people come up with the most cockamamie, bizarre, ridiculous uh, explanations of of the foundations of everything. And like Ron said, uh, it doesn't matter whether it was six eons or 624, God can do anything. And for us little finite Peanut brains to show up in our little hyphen of an existence and try to figure out the eternal God, and just put them in a box and say this is exactly how it was done. And uh, when R.C. Sproul was interviewing Carl Sagan years ago, and and you know. Of course, Sproul can handle himself, and Hay- and Sagan, and anyone else. And he took them back, you know, going with these evolutionary uh, scientists, astrophysicists, and he took them all the way back to the beginning. And Sproul pinned him up against a wall, and he said, "Well, you know," and I, I forgot how eloquently R.C. said this, but he got to the point where there was nothing, and the scientists had no explanation for anything. And Sproul asked him this question: "Well, you know, how can something come from nothing?" And and Carl Sagan said, I don't want to go there. Yeah. <laughs> so, if, if we can't stand on Genesis 1 and 1, you're going to get pushed so far back where you'll have no place to go. And uh, you've got to hand it to these people. They, they have more faith in nothing than we have in someone. And it's a, it's a sad, pathetic place to be. And uh, we are at a time. Uh, and Christians do not need to be afraid of science. You know, we just launched right.
0: another telescope, the Webb telescope. It's already showing us, you know, the light you see from a star last night. That light left that star millions of light years ago. You're seeing into the past. This new telescope is showing us it, 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 further out in the universe. We're getting back to the beginning of the universe. All scientific discoveries and all archaeological discoveries around the world are affirming what you find in that Bible right there. Christians do not need to be afraid of science at all. Real science. This is your class, not ours. So if you guys want that, you tell us and we'll be glad to. Paul, you want to hand me your leftover questions and we'll have these next week? Are there any index
1: cards for Yes. You can't ask any questions. <laughs> this Please. applies to everybody else but you, JK. I'm sorry. Well, on this
0: lectern, there's a bunch of index cards. Feel free. And if you've already asked a question, you can take another one. We don't know who's asked and who hasn't. So bring your questions next week um, and we'll do this again. Two weeks from today, we'll start a series on the Apostles' Creed for 12 weeks. And um, let, me, let me close this with prayer and then I need to get to worship. Lord God, thank you for this time. Uh, again, I pray that nobody leaves here confused or uh, their faith shaken. I pray that we will all leave knowing that you are the great creator God of the universe sovereign over every raindrop uh, by the way lord we need rain please send it and uh, may we all leave here built up in christ ready to more faithfully follow him all our days on into eternal life through jesus christ our lord amen well the, the hall monitor is back i think i got everybody's name down but
1: i came up with 38 of 4